was top 40 news and weather and sports And I was writing on current affairs the Next morning when I got up to read my theme You should have seen all the classrooms stare Okay, Tom Carney here That's what we're going to talk about tonight Top 40 news, weather and sports Actually about listening to your favorite DJ Our guest tonight is uh, Woody Seymour Uh a longtime friend of ours who we met, oh, about 30 years ago when he began to help us through our shortwave radio program. And he, like uh, yours truly, is what I would call a radio guy. There are not many of us left, and that is people who uh, have not only entertainment in mind when we listen to the radio, but it's kind of a hobby, and we're interested in the history of it and how things have changed over the years. And Recently, uh, Woody Seymour greeted me with some news that one of our favorite G- DJs from the days of yore, uh, now in his 80s, I think he's 83, had returned to the airwaves. And so, well, he actually had been on the airwaves, but he'd returned to the AM commercial band in the United States. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about tonight. This is related to a series of programs that, that we've done on, on here that I've done called Waiting for the Sun to Go Down, because in the early days of rock and roll, the, the people in my neck of the woods had to listen to my mother's radio station, and that's Rosemary Clooney and Teresa Brewer and people like that. But gradually, we got our own rock and roll station. In, in the case of Raleigh, that was Kicks in 1959. But uh, tonight, Woody's going to talk about a guy that was out there already. I think before that, what we had to do is tune into the AM band where the signals go long distance. You can listen to New York and Chicago and Buffalo and uh, Fort Wayne and uh, Knoxville and a lot of other places, WWL in New Orleans. So, Woody, are you there? I'm there, Tom. And, uh, trying to set the scene there so people would understand what we're up to tonight. That's, that's right. The, the theme song, I have never heard that before. Who is that by? Well, he's by a guy who you have heard before. He, he has another record that is probably the source of his fame. Uh, and that is, he, he's the guy who recorded Teen Angel. Uh, oh, Mark Denning? Mark Denning, right. Yeah. And, uh, okay. But I can remember doing my homework, listening to rock and roll, and, and call it, I, you know, I'm, I'm an old history teacher. Rock and roll music in America after World War II, when it came about, Elvis Presley and then the Beatles, and then right on up to now, mm-hmm. defined the young culture, the youth culture. It was the thing that the young people had that was different from their parents. And it started slicing them off and making that difference in the, in the years right after 1950. And uh, uh, we've explored that on several programs here. But, uh, Woody, I believe it's all right, I hope, to say you were born about that time. And I was. You were defined in some ways by it. I was defined in some ways by it. We, we drove around in our cars and listened to the radio. We listened to it while we were doing our homework. And, and, and the thing that happens in the song, of course, is that Mark Denning gets the information in his homework and the information on the radio mixed up uh, so that the class thinks it's funny the next day when he has President Ike up at the mic singing, I'll be lonesome tonight, which, of course... Was well, you, you were a few years before me, and right. so you got really the early days, and I, I guess it was probably late 1950s that I start really paying attention to what was on the radio. And as we mentioned on our programs in the past, I think you and I both had a situation where we didn't have control of what the radio 
was tuned to in our early days. And uh, fortunately for me, it was on WPTF uh, a lot of the time, and that that was good for me because it I heard a lot of good programming, and it and it, it helped me to have a lifetime uh, connection with WPTF, which I have you know to this day, and. So that's that's the good thing, but uh, the rock and roll, I, I feel very, very blessed that I have been around uh, kind of from the start of the real rock and roll era. Okay. Can I insert a couple mm-hmm. of things here? Uh, television was, was, of course, changing what radio could present and what was known as the golden age of radio, and that is when the networks dominated the stations was disappearing. And so the radio stations that were that were out there had to come up with new formats, and uh, they became sort of niche formats. And that is, some were for old people, some were for middle-aged people, and some were for teenagers. Rock and roll, in other mm-hmm. words. And that's what you walked into. You were uh, seven years younger than I am, and you're right. Yeah. I got it got the first wave, and uh, you got the, the second wave. And you, what led us here tonight? Uh, so we make sure we get this in is you eventually got on to one of the big rock and roll stations that you could hear at night and on to a guy who became one of your heroes, I think. That's right. And and it, I have to say, this year has been a challenging year, to say the least, for all of us. And to have him return to the radio station where he was when I was a teenager has been absolutely one of the highlights for me of this year. Um, you know, I... I lost so many of my activities, uh, so many of the uh, organizations I belonged to uh, couldn't meet. I lost all going to my minor league baseball games and uh, going to my concerts and things like that, as, as you know, people have lost a lot, and, and there's a lot more serious things going on. But it's been nice to have uh, have Cousin Brucey return and be, be back on WABC. Uh, he hadn't really gone anywhere. I mean, he's been on... Uh, Sirius XM for the last uh, 15 years or so, but but anyway, it just it got me to thinking about what happened in the early days. I mean, when I got my own radio, and it probably wasn't until after 1960 that I got my own radio. Um, you know, you grew up in Goldsboro, I grew up in Sanford. They were both towns that had had a local radio station or two, which you know we. We listened to some, and we listened to WPTF and all, and, of course, Kicks was on playing rock and roll. But at night, of course, there was Kicks FM. If you could pick up, if you had a good FM radio, you could pick it up. But, you know, there's just at night, the local stations, at least in Sanford, they went silent, and they weren't they weren't on. So you had AM, and you could tune the, the, the dial, and all of a sudden you're hearing radio stations from big cities, and that was exciting for me, and I guess it, I guess it pretended that I would eventually be a shortwave radio listener because trying to listen to distant places, but the rock and roll music and the production for those stations was just uh, riveting. I mean, they, they were just so well done. Uh, they had jingles. They had, you know, disc jockeys that had a lot of personality to them, and uh, it, it was a it was a wonderful time, and um, it's nice to think back about it. Uh, never thought I'd be an old codger talking about. It. Oh, I remember when I was just a little 
Well, it, it created a culture. Yeah. Uh, uh, there were different parts of our, our media culture. For instance, uh, James Dean in the movie uh, Rebel Without a Cause was one thing that teenagers identified with. Well, in terms of books, The Catcher in the Rye is, is one of the famous books that mm-hmm. that uh, identified the, the teenage generation and set them off in, 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 as adversaries to their parents. You know, They were no longer regarded as just little people, but in fact they were uh, a group unto themselves. And uh, we, we should tonight, you and I even haven't talked about this, but if you stayed up late at night, you could listen to WABC or to WKBW in Buffalo or to WLS in Chicago, but you could also listen to WLAC in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And it was had portents of the things that were coming because it played race music. It played R&B. It played mm-hmm. songs primarily by, by black musicians. And that was not the common thing. In America, or indeed in the South, there were uh, there was a station in Goldsboro that had a, about an hour of uh, music directed toward the African American audience every day, and there was one in Wilson that had a program every night uh, uh, with a jockey named Ted Hooker. I mentioned him the other night, and he uh, on our trivia show because he played a couple of songs that we had, but uh, you you didn't have uh, generally, particularly in the South. Uh, uh, Stations that were oriented particularly toward or directed toward a black audience. You, they, there was some time, but uh, but out there were the radio stations. Some of them in the south, and some of them not. That would uh, attract you and me when we were looking for music to listen to, and didn't want to li- listen to Glenn Gray and his Casanova Orchestra. Yeah, yeah. I <clears throat> I know that um, when I started tuning the dial. Uh, the first station, the nighttime station that I, I started listening to was one that it's amazing how everyone I mentioned the subject of nighttime radio stations. That's the first one they mentioned. And it's, uh, it's in a small city in Indiana uh, called Fort Wayne, and it's uh, W-O-W-O, 1190. And that was a... a a really good station to listen to. They had, uh, and they even they even they broadcast hockey games on there. But I mean, you know, they had uh, talk and they played music, and it was just a really good station. And it's, uh, it sort of reminds me now of uh, uh, the Cincinnati station, the big one, seven hundred WOW. You know, it's the same type of station. Uh, a lot of these big city stations, you know, they'll they'll play some music and. They'll have some talk and, and things like that. But I think what we're going to talk about tonight more is the rock and roll stations that we like and the disc jockeys and the personalities that, that really captivated so many of the people in our generation. And, in fact, that's what we did in place of the old network shows. We now identified with personalities. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that after we take a quick break. We'll be back and talk about WABC and uh, Cousin Brucie, and I get to talk about Dick Bianchi at WKBW, and uh, you'll be able to think about the person that you listen to right after this. We're here every night, of course. Bring you a little bit of live and in real-time radio, and uh, tonight we're talking about the history of rock and roll and, and uh, how it defined... Uh, a teenage generation and began defining uh, a different kind of culture. And what inspired me in this direction was 
the excitement in my friend Woody Seymour when he discovered uh, that one of his favorite jocks had returned to the AM radio wave. He'd been out there in, in satellite radio, but he'd returned to the station that had made him famous, one that you can get in your car tonight and turn on and listen to uh, and have been able to all, all the time since it came on the air in 1921. Woody, how did you discover that Cousin Brucey was back? Well, it was interesting. I... I just ran across it on, um, I, I was doing something, and I, I saw, I had not been listening to the station, uh, it's mostly a talk station now, and I had not been listening to it, but I came across on the internet <clears throat> some news about it, and I can't think of what I was looking up, but uh, I saw that, and it was like three or four weeks before he was going to come back on the air, so I had time to plan for it. And he's only on Saturday nights from 6 until 10, but he, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've listened to every show so far. It's just it's just been wonderful because I feel like I'm 16 years old again. <laughs> well, he um, was a big deal with the young people in New York, you, you tell me, and I remember was, that myself. Well, basically, you know, he, he was with a, another radio station in New York, WINS, and uh, when he came to WABC, he was, kind of the low man on the on the uh, pole, so to speak. And he had a, a, a slot, say, around uh, 10, uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And that, he broadcast there for several years. And about uh, the guy who was in the position, the early evening position, was named Scott Muni, who was a, a, a very well-known early disc jockey. But uh, he, he left the station, and then they promoted Brucey to the seven to seven twenty to eleven o'clock uh, thing in there. They had they had some network program and they still had to broadcast so the music didn't get started at seven twenty in the evening. And so uh, once once he switched there, I started listening to it. And uh, that was it, it it's not just him, it was the sound of the station. They had a program director named Rick Sklar, S-K-L-A-R, who was just unbelievably good about programming radio stations. And if, if not only was it a disc jockey, it was, they did something, they played the very best records that were out there, and they played them, and they repeated them more often than some other stations did. And that's where I guess the term Top 40 came from, is that they played the top, same top 40 songs over and over and over again. But that format worked. And then they had the jingles. The, the jingles are absolutely a big part of the station and the sound. They had commercials that had some of the commercials were sung by the artists. The Four Seasons were singing about Coca-Cola. And, I mean, they had, uh, of course, pimple cream commercials and things like that. But even those were just entertaining to listen to. And it's just, very, very entertaining programming, the station itself. Brucey was the best. He he was uh, he just got a great positive personality. He's not a real flamer, he's just positive and upbeat. And that's what I like about him. I still like about him today. He's he's the same way. Eighty five year old man, he's he's upbeat and and uh, people are just going really wild about him being back on the air up, up in that area. And there are calls from all around the country, too. So does he take calls on the air, and does he take requests now or anything well, he, like that? He did, and actually, uh, 
uh, our our friend Todd from Robbins that calls in to your program. He's called in a couple of times since he's been on. I called one time, um, and I had the opportunity. I'd never spoken to him before because back in the 1960s, they weren't taking phone calls on the year. But uh, I thanked him. I, I had written him a little letter and asked him to wish me a happy 16th birthday on my 16th birthday, and he did. And I heard it, and I, 54 years later, I thanked him for doing that. And he got a real kick out of that. Well, for people who who watched the movie American Graffiti, yeah, uh, which tried to, I think it was a good movie that brought together all the little symbols of teenagehood circa 1972. Uh, Cousin Brucey is the equivalent. If he was in the movie, he would be Wolfman Jack. That's right. That's who all the kids listen to. And in fact, when the, the guy in there needs some advice, he goes out to the radio station and wants to talk to Wolfman Jack and... Uh, the next time you watch the movie Dirty Dancing, mm-hmm. uh, they're listening when they're on the way to the resort. In the, I guess in the Catskills, they uh, they were listening to the radio, and cousin Brucey's on the radio, which is, you know, uh-huh. he's on there. And then he's got a scene in the movie where there's a magician on stage. Cousin Brucey is the magician. So the next time you see Dirty Dancing, he's not only on the radio, but he's also in the in the movie as a performer. So he uh, he, he he's really he, he's a distinctive looking person, and he's he's from Brooklyn originally, um, and he he's just he's just someone that you know, like I say, not everybody could do what he's done. He's just he's just an exceptional person. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Of course, being in New York and in the biggest city in America, yep. uh, he was right in the middle of what was happening. And we should mention that uh, the station that I think you said he worked for WINS at one time mm-hmm. is a station that uh, the guy who was supposed to have defined rock and roll, Alan Freed, mm-hmm. worked for at one time. And uh, if you, if you, uh, what is the movie American Hot Wax? If you yes. ever get a chance to see it, you get a little bit of sense of what was going on in New York. Yeah, he he just um, he was in the right place at the right time, and you know, when the Beatles came in 1964, uh, WABC just uh, connected with them, and I mean they they stayed stayed friends. I mean, uh, 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 Brucey and and Paul McCartney see each other from time to time. I mean, they still had a connection. Um, the program director I was mentioning, Rick Sklar, stayed friends with John Lennon. And see, John lived not too far from the radio station. And uh, when John and Yoko split up, I guess in the uh, late 70s. Uh, hold, it, hold it right there, Woody. Okay. You get to give the rest of the explanation after we listen to the news. So there's a radio tease for you on WPTF. It's 930. 933, WCTF, Tom Kearney here. This is the point where we, we usually do a little promoing, and we've got one day, or rather one night left in this weekend. Friday Night Trivia is going to be devoted to uh, help, helping you start getting in the mood for Christmas by dealing with the Christmas movies. Uh, my brother Stephen will be here to do his version of Friday Night uh, Christmas movies, and uh, 
our guest tonight, Woody Seymour, is going to be back next week to do his version. But tonight, he's with us talking about being a teenager in the, uh, well, or, or in the years around uh, uh, 1970 and listening to uh, uh, one of the top radio stations in America, one that covered just about the whole country and which was the top rocker in the country, although there were what they call the 50,000-watt blowtorch stations all over the country. I personally like to listen to one in Buffalo called WKBW, and a lot of people listen to WLS in Chicago, and there were many others, too. Uh, Woody, how how did your your life progress once you discovered Cousin Brucey? Did you uh, uh, sit down at night and, and do your homework while you were listening to Cousin Brucey? Well, I actually did. I mean, and what I've always did in school was I, I used to do a lot of my homework in the afternoons when I got home, go in and do it so I could do something at night, like read a book or listen to the radio. And I, I learned with some courses, and I think, I think most young people have learned to do this, is to kind of multitask. And I, I would turn the radio down and have it in the background, but I would, you know, there's some things I could do while listening to it. But I... I, I really I enjoyed it all during my high school years and and uh, actually even my first first year in college. Um, I, uh, my first year in college, my my roommate in the first year dropped out, so I had a private room to myself. So I listened to the radio my freshman year more, but then as things got a little bit more complicated, uh, I didn't listen as much. But I did listen, and uh, uh, up up to the time that he left the station in 1974. Incidentally, what happened was uh, he he actually uh, uh, WNBC, which is a, another station in New York, they uh, they brought in Wolfman Jack to try to give him some competition, and Wolfman Jack couldn't couldn't bring the ratings, so. They wound up getting Brucey away from WABC, but anyway, that's a that's a long story in itself. Um, and I should mention one final thing about him being on the air, and, I, and this is something. One of the requests that came in by email was from Stephen Portnoy, who is the CBS Radio White House correspondent, and he he requested a song of, about a month ago. Uh, so I, I thought that was interesting somebody that we hear doing the news every day on WPTF uh, was listening to him, too. And uh, uh, it's just, it just, it just an interesting time of it. But I know, I know you had uh, an experience with the, the Buffalo Station, which didn't come in as well in my location, but I know that you, you had some real special people with, um, with that station, including Dick Biondi, who's a very well-known disc jockey. Yes, I, I, that's the one that I discovered that I liked the staff more, and and uh, they had a, a great bunch of people. Uh, they had a guy named Art Roberts who was on there who always ended his show with, this has been a work of art, Excelsior. Hmm. And he and Beyonce eventually moved to Chicago to a station that was a, a big station in Chicago and had a generalized format, but they decided to go to rock and roll. In fact, WLS is the station that I'm talking about, and it had been on since the early 20s. It was owned by Sears Robot, and hence the Commoners, the world's largest store, was the, where they got the WLS. And they've been 
you know, a, a variety radio station like TV stations are now. They're a variety of things. But they went to rock and roll, and they managed to hire away two or three of the top jocks that were at WKBW, including Beyondy and Art Roberts, and I think a guy named Tommy Shannon. And, uh, uh, and I don't know, was Jerry Reynolds on their station? Uh, I think it But uh, anyway, they became a station that uh, was extremely popular yeah. for the people who had to, as I, have, I want to say, had to wait for the sun to go down. Yeah. And, but WLS could be heard just about all over the entire United States because Chicago is much closer to being in the middle of the country. And so, and I was one of those who multitasked. I, I did my homework. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in fact, I have a, uh, an algebra notebook that I kept when I was in the eighth grade that I uh, have all the problems that I had to work out for the teacher to inspect. And down in the margin on the right-hand side, I had the top 40 listing as they played. I mean, they would play the top 40 usually on, uh, I think, Friday night or Saturday night or some sometime toward the end of the week. But mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing I kind of enjoy looking at now. And I think I probably wrote those down in 1957 or 1958. What did you find so appealing about Dick Biondi? Oh, he was a little off the wall. He he was he was given to uh, you know making wild exclamations and so on. He was kind of a wild Italian, as I think. How. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saw himself, and he's continued to be on the air. He, I think he may still be alive. I'm not sure. He's in his, uh, I think Cousin Bruce, is 83, and I think he's 87. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend who used to work at WPTF who had worked at a radio station in, in Myrtle Beach, and uh, Bianchi had been there very briefly. He sort of made the, the tour of the big radio stations in America. And uh, he was an Italian Catholic, and he got to making really bad jokes about the Catholic diocese in Chicago. and Well, that cost him his job in, in the end. But, but, he, but that's the kind of, you know, he was a little yeah. bit of a, a wild child. And, uh, I, think he, I think he had a syndicated program, uh, too, and, and that's where I heard him, on a syndicated program. Well, when I started working at WPTF in 1982, one of, our, uh, one of the programs that I had, had to run the control board for was a program called Solid Gold Saturday Night. Yep. with a guy named Duke Bartley, who was, and that was a syndicated show that was carried all over the country, and it played essentially the same music that WABC or WLS mm-hmm. would have been playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was a good program. I, I enjoyed that, too. Uh, and, and the way these guys moved around, um, uh, <clears throat> WLS um, in, in Chicago was a station I never much listened to, but... Uh, Say around the late 1990 or so, uh, uh, while I was involved with my, with my shortwave listening, uh, a, a former WLS DJ um, became a member of the shortwave club and started calling me at home asking questions about shortwave. And his name was Gary Gears. He's very well known in Chicago circles. He made the rounds of the station there, and I, it was just interesting, you know, because. Instead of listening to a disc jockey, I had one calling me up, asking me for information about something that I knew a lot about, and it was a, it was a great experience for me um, to have someone with that voice calling me up and uh, <laughs> asking me questions. Um, but I know um, I was just thinking, in, in all the years of listening to rock and roll, I had a, a friend in high school who. Tell me about other disc jockeys, 
and I always would come back to WABC. But there was another disc jockey that uh, that I listened to, and he was he was a, a real flamer. He went by the moniker Big Jack, but his name was Jack Armstrong. He actually his, he was born in Chapel Hill. His name was um, John Charles Larsh, and he he uh, he worked uh, for Big Ways in Charlotte for a number of years, and then he wound up uh, going to uh, Cleveland, and then he uh, he was a real well-known disc jockey back in those days, and he was he really. He got the in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the fastest talking human being at one time. And, and indeed, uh, listening to Dick Beyonce, I listened to some uh, tapes today uh, on YouTube of him. And it, it, one of the things that I had forgotten is how far, how fast he talked. Yeah. And a lot of the disc jockeys, they were the personalities that held the radio stations. They were the face of the radio stations, you know, the people that you associated with the radio stations, rather than certain programs, which had been the case during the golden age of radio. And uh, uh, and, and, and they were all always kind of, uh, kind of uh, uh, gimmicks. I used to listen to WNOX, which is the 99er in Knoxville, Tennessee, and it had a good good rock mm-hmm. uh, program, but the disc jockeys were given to innuendo and... and Slightly off color things and stuff we can't repeat on the radio. And I remember going to uh, Tidewater one time, and the big rocker in, in Norfolk was WGH, and it was on a, uh, in a, in a sort of a glass uh, kiosk kind of place out on the on the highway, so you could drive by and see the jock doing his thing in there. While, uh, and there was always something like that going on. You mentioned big ways in Charlotte. We should probably mention WTOP and once. WTOB in Winston-Salem. Yes. And, of course, Kicks in Raleigh. And uh, and at one time, Kicks and WTOB in Winston-Salem were owned by the same company. Right. If you, if you might, you did well at one, you might go to to the other one. And, and you know, one, one of my, it was really interesting, I'd listen, one of my favorite disc jockeys at Kicks was a guy named Tommy Walker. He was on there for many, many years. And when I went to law school in Winston-Salem, I started listening to WTOB, and Tommy Walker was on in WTOB. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just interesting, some of these disc jockeys. And uh, uh, and as I've gotten older, I've got a friend who is really a, a beach music-type broadcaster. He, uh, he, you know, I actually, on my TV show, I had Charlie Brown and, Jack Kane on my TV show one time talking about the old days of WKIX. So, you know, there's a lot of people interested in this sort of thing. I, I have to thank you, Tom, for a number of years ago. You told me about a book you'd read called Something in the Air by a guy named Mark Fisher. And it is just a wonderful look at the way radio changed back in this time period. It, it's so interesting, and uh, I really got a lot out of that book. I have to thank you for for that referral because I, you know, that that told me a lot about what was going on with the radio station. While we were at it, I, I recently I had uh, uh, an author on who used to work for the News Observer, David Menconi. Yes, and his book, The Story of North Carolina Popular Music, mm-hmm. uh, is really good, and it's it's really very informative, and has a little bit of the sense of how. 
the medium of radio helped uh, 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 put the word out, so to speak, that there were two ways an artist could get it to be popular. One was selling records, and the other was uh, being on the radio, and, and that they reinforced each other, of course. And, uh, yeah, you know, it was it was interesting at, at WABC how they had a very very tight playlist, but um, they had a really unusual situation back in the early 1968. They started. They were trying to decide whether to play a song by an English actor named Richard Harris called MacArthur Park, and they just really everything they everything they they knew about it, they they didn't want to play the song because it was seven minutes long. But uh, they had uh, the employees in the station. They played it for them, and they all were just enthralled by the song, and so they got so before long they were playing it once every hour and. It just became a phenomenon. If, if you keep going, Woody, and I'm pulling your leg now, but we're going to have to get somebody to translate what you're saying. Yeah. Because you, you're talking about what the radio people call heavy rotation. You know, uh, heavy rotation is when you play the song once an hour or, 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 you know, once every two hours, and others you would play once a day or something like that. But the MacArthur Park was one of the problems of it was it was too long, but I think there is a a remix of it that's, that's shorter that they some stations identified with too, uh, because in the we have I don't think mentioned this, but in the fifties, if a record was longer than two and a half minutes, generally the music people and the radio people didn't think it would would be listened to. Uh, that's right. And uh, of course, El Paso shot that at down because El Paso is a little over four and a half minutes long, and it certainly sold a lot of records. And I hear they even play it in the airport in El Paso to this day. We're and, then we, about, and, and then we had American Pie and Hey Jude. So, you know. uh, well, American Pie, I can remember tuning into it when I left the parking lot at WPTF one night, and I barely got home before it ended. So, yep. Uh, about eight, between eight and nine minutes. Of course, it's, uh, it's important. It's an important song. But we're talking about rock and roll and uh, uh, how little uh, Woody Seymour got hooked in with Cousin Brucey and, and had a good effect uh, and in becoming a fan of rock and roll. And what we're talking about, of course, is defining a part of our culture that still has an effect in one way or another. In fact, we ought to talk a little bit about uh, some people like Ryan Seacrest and Casey Kasem and so on. And if you want to do that, we can do it right after we listen to this. Okay. Tom Kearney back on WPTF again tomorrow night. Friday Night Trivia is going to be trivia about movies, about movies that uh, are Christmas movies. My brother Stephen will be here to present you with his queries, and we hope you will join us for that. Coming up Monday, Dr. Joe Cadell, who is uh, our military historian, will be here. Monday is Pearl Harbor Day, and we've been admonished to remember Pearl Harbor, and uh, our president, Franklin Roosevelt, said it would be a day that would live in infamy, and that's one of the reasons we like to to recognize it. Tonight, our, our guest is Woody Seymour, and we've been talking about uh, growing up with rock and roll music and the continued presence of some of our heroes. Uh, specifically, Woody, you're uh, discovering, I guess a couple of months ago, that uh, Cousin Brucey, who you loved to listen to when you were in high school and your first years of college, was back on the air on the station that he started on. He had been on, I believe, uh, Serious FM radio, uh, right. AXM radio. And he actually found a way to recreate the chime. They had, they uh, 
one thing they used to do back in those days. At the end of a song, they would have to hit a chime, and they would give the time. And uh, that was a distinctive feature of that station. And, and they, they've got the chime. They don't do it on every song, but uh, they they do it occasionally. And that's... Well, that was one of the things about the jocks then. They, uh, at least when they first started doing it, before they, the management people tightened up on them, they would uh, have cowbells and all kinds of things that yeah. uh, were distinctive of their personality. That was remember. part of their format. I mean, it was actually built into the format. Right. I can remember reading a story in uh, some magazine, like Life magazine or Time or somewhere, about a guy in Philadelphia that I couldn't hear because he was on a, a station that didn't broadcast in this direction or didn't have enough power. But he was a guy, Philadelphians would remember Jerry Blavitt, mm-hmm. and he he called himself the Geeter with the heater, and, yes. and the jocks would have have names like that too. And, and uh, songs to sign off. And I mentioned earlier that Art Roberts always said, "This has been a work of art." Yes, I mean they they all had their little little thing there, and uh, you know uh, that's that was the thing about it. I mean. They were worth listening to. I mean, you were listening to the music, but they were worth listening to. And, and uh, it, it was a good way to spend some time. And I think um, there are lots of worse things you could be doing in the evening than sitting at home listening to the radio. <laughs> well, one of the things we haven't referred to very much, and we are just, we've got about a minute left in the program, is back in uh, around the year 2000, 2001, and some of these guys may be listening tonight, the so-called Kicks Men of Music, which Kicks was the local rock and roll station, mm-hmm. and uh, an awful lot of people listened to it, had a big reunion, and some of them had uh, gone on to jobs in radio, and others had gone on to jobs in, in other parts of radio. But uh, they were getting together, and I think they were on WPTF a couple of times, but that happened just about the time that 9-11 happened, and... and uh, uh, the focus of things there for a while was in the other direction, but people like you and people like me can remember particularly listening to them in the daytime because their signal was not as great at night uh, at a distance, which is where I was. Uh, you could not hear them, for instance, in Winston-Salem where I was. I had to listen to WTOB. But as you pointed out, they were, in fact, owned by the same people. They had they had very similar sounds. Charlie Brown, the longtime WKX disc jockey, is doing nothing syndicated beach music program called On the Beach, and I've heard that on WPTF, and, you know, that's uh, that's a former WKIX disc jockey still broadcast. And it wasn't rock and roll, but even though WPTF uh, continued to be a, a general uh, entertainment station with providing uh, important news contacts and weather and sports mm-hmm. and things like that, uh, it did have its bit of music and really the most popular show on the station was this program called Our Best Cute. It was heard at night. Uh, it was not rock and roll, but more more like ballads and, and salty, uh, well, romantic music is what it was. But yes. uh, it, it took requests and so on. Woody, we're going to have to go. I hope you've had a good time tonight. I did. It's been nice to, to uh, share some memories with you tonight, and uh, I hope our listeners have enjoy kind of stepping back in time as well. Okay, I'm going to call you here in a couple of minutes. In the meantime, we're going to close this out. John, 